I'm Dr. Logan Noon, psych resident, alongside my other uh, psych resident colleague, Dr. Jun Chun. All right, Dr. Chun, have you ever heard of the suicide bill? No. What is that? Fill me in, Logan. What's going right. on? So it's kind of this concept, the suicide belt in the middle of the country, the states that are at the highest elevation seem to also have the highest suicide rates. It's highest scary. elevation. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And is it because of the elevation? Is it because of the culture of ski towns? Who goes there? Who Who is attracted there? The partying of ski towns? Who really knows? Let's get into some facts, though. The national suicide rate, and these are a little bit old, but it, it doesn't exactly matter because this isn't a new trend. This has been going on for a while. The national average of suicide is 13.3 suicides per 100,000 people, and this is from 2015. Now, in comparison, the Colorado uh, suicide rate was nearly 20, Idaho, 22, Utah, 22, New Mexico, 23, Montana, 25, Alaska, 26, Wyoming, 28, a better word, of higher suicide completion in ski towns. You know, I absolutely love skiing, and I didn't really realize this till recently, but I really want to kind of get into some of the theories around why potentially this is occurring, and then maybe, you know, we're both psychiatry physicians over here in residency, give our two cents on how people can get better. Before I get into theories I seem to understand, do you have any theories on why the suicide belt exists? No, I'm trying to think about it in my head right now, but it really makes no sense to me because one of the things I thought about was economics, right? Low economic status usually leads to worse mental health outcomes, but you have states like Colorado in there and even Wyoming and these, I mean, certainly there are pockets of poverty, but there's also pockets, especially like in these uh, ski resort communities, these are areas of extremely high affluence. Um, so I really do wonder what's causing it. And a question I have for you before you, you get into your spiel is, are these, are these numbers looking at residents that are living in that town? Or does it include people that are coming out of, the, you know, out of town for vacation and seasonal residents, essentially? Right. That is an excellent question. And no, at least those stats don't go into the necessary specifics. Um, and I, what you said at the end here, I think, is two di very different things. People who go into the town seasonally and then people who go into there as vacation is, I think, two radically different groups. Really? Um, first, let's break it down. Okay, so there is huge income disparities in these um, ski town areas, but I would not call them affluent. I think that's a false understanding. I obviously need to take you skiing or, or snowboarding, June. P take your pick because I used to be an instructor. We will go this year before we graduate residency. But, you know, it's weird. When you drive up to the ski resort towns, I get where that idea of, oh, my God, this is such an affluent area. Okay, let's talk about Aspen. Aspen, everyone's heard of Aspen. Please go watch Dumb and Dumber. Money, that's what I think of when I hear Aspen. Right. Average median home in Aspen is, um, this article is quoting 836,000. I actually don't even know what year that's from. That, that even seems low to me. In, in 2023, yeah. I bet it's different than that. But uh, when this year, this article was written, sorry, listeners, I don't know. The average um, estimated per capita income was $58,000. So these aren't exactly affluent areas. You know, there are people who have great affluence and, and great capital that go there. They own the million dollar houses that, of course, are right next to the resort. I'm not saying those people don't exist. At the end of the day, they are still the minorities. The other people that work in those towns, a lot of those jobs are, um, of course, close to the tourism industry, um, maybe seasonal workers, 
or other just kind of normal jobs that a town needs to survive aren't necessarily in that same affluent category group. So there are huge income disparities in these towns. A lot of the individuals that go there for seasonal work at these ski resorts, they pay like shit. Near minimum wage jobs, they are not adequ- or adequately compensated. Then the, ho- the, the um, pricing of housing is very challenging as well, too. Typically, they're living in these apartments or these facilities that are not the best. A lot of these employees of ski resorts towns typically work two to three jobs just to make, make ends meet. It's also very interesting because these ski resort towns go through economic cycles. You know, think of uh, Truckee, Lake Tahoe area. Have you ever been out there? No. It's beautiful. It is. It was, I used to live in Sacramento. I used to go skiing all the time in the Lake Tahoe Valley. It was absolutely incredible. Now, they have a, a pretty amazing mountain biking culture in the summertime, too. But a lot of those tourism and that money that comes into the town subsides come spring. You know, the ski resorts shut down. They don't have as much snow. There's not as much jobs, not as much work. Very interestingly, that's also when a lot of these suicides occur. Oh, wow. So while okay. a lot of them come in the spring, and there's there's two reasons for that. One is maybe economical. Um, and so maybe that's also feeding into these stats. I wish I had the, the data of you know, who exactly is killing themselves. That's very hard to measure. But perhaps it's an economic drive. Also in this article was talking about how, look, these ski resort towns, how many of these individuals maybe live with seasonal affect disorder? Um, and if you don't know what that is, you know, your mood gets a little bit worse in the wintertime, long story short, right? Now, these ski resorts towns are at extremely high elevation. The winters are tough. You know, there are literally such intense storms that might be measured in feet, three, five, six, seven, eight feet sometimes. You literally have to hunker down. And so what it was talking about also is how sometimes these individuals, okay, I am experiencing winter. I'm used to this. I've always had seasonal affect disorder. I feel like shit. Come this spring, when that warm sun finally comes out, when I finally can get outside a little bit more, I'll feel better. Come spring, sunshine comes, my mood is still shit. Kind of this like sunshine paradise paradox, in a sense. Right, but then if it's uh, if you're attributing this to a seasonal affective disorder, shouldn't we see the number of suicide attempts and completed suicides drop when the winter fades away? And you start to get more sunlight. But you're saying that during the spring, that's the especially tough time of the year for them. Right. It, at least it's, it's, we're kind of theorizing, right? You know, right. Like maybe why are there more suicides in the spring? And what this one our article was talking a lot about, it's maybe how because you anticipate that this is all, this depression is all because of a seasonal affect. And once it comes spring, everything's going to feel better. But come spring, ooh, I don't actually feel that better. Wow, I don't actually have that job because now the ski resort is is closing down come May. Things are really tough. Also contributing to, you know, these ski towns, their isolation, right? You know, we even talked mm-hmm. about if a, if a hardcore um, snowstorm comes in, you're not really leaving your house uh, during those tough times. Now, after that tough time, that that big um, storm, you know, you hopefully you're going out enjoying the pow. You know, one of the most amazing experiences in the world, experiencing powder skiing. I've I've never really gone powder snowboarding. I must be honest. Powder skiing, incredible, life changing. But contributing to the social isolation is this social volatility as well. 
We talked about seasonal affect or, or seasonal workers before, excuse me, okay? A lot of people will move in perhaps for a season, perhaps even for a year or two, but look, a lot of these ski towns are tough to permanently live in. Why do I mean that? Lack of jobs, lack of schools, and lack of uh, resources to specialist doctors, right? Like finding a cardiologist out in Aspen is probably a lot harder than it is finding someone in right downtown Denver. You know, so what these articles have also identified is this social volatility, like you form a good connection with someone one year and then they move out the next year. So there are so many individuals who are isolated in these communities who have a difficult time forming really long term, meaningful friendships in a sense. Not saying it doesn't happen, but it can be a challenge. Right, right, right. And maybe uh, maybe these ski resorts are a good microcosm of some of the bigger social issues that we're seeing in our communities um, all over the country that's leading to some of the abysmal mental health outcomes that we're having. So, for example, you touched upon the loss of community, right? In these ski towns, it seems like it's transient. Um, during the winter, more there's an influx of people. You have people to hang out with. And then springtime, they're all gone. Um yeah. But if you if you project that out to the rest of the country, like look at look at what's happened to our, you know, especially small town communities in the past several decades. Right. This is a problem that's going on all over the country and it's been happening for decades now. Um, the lack of attendance in church, the lack of civil service participation, the lack of individual community groups have all disintegrated. I mean, we have social media today. We're more connected than ever, supposedly. However, all those relationships are superficial. And I think the mismatch of expecting to have a community, but the reality of the fact that it's extremely difficult to obtain, that mismatch of expectations and the reality causes a lot of distress for people. And you know, it's funny to hear you talk about ski town resorts in this way, Logan, because I think, you know, like it just highlights that these places, um, it can mean so many different things to so many different people. Like here you are saying that powder skiing is like this incredible experience. Um, and of course, when we think of ski resorts, right, we, we, it's a positive energy that we're feeling, um, a lot of positive thoughts. Uh, but undeniably, for a lot of people in our country today, those those towns represent a big source of pain and suffering to the point that they're you know having thoughts of wanting to self harm, um, and and once again speaking further on that fact, this also another microcosm of the economic challenges that we're facing as a society. Um, I remember that uh, I was watching this video about I think it was Jackson Hole, Wyoming, right? Mm -hmm. One of these places, um, ski town resort, right? You know, right by Yellowstone National Park, highly coveted um, area within the, within our country, especially for the um, for, for the most affluent of our cities. Citizens. And, you know, what this video was talking about with uh, COVID and everything is there is just a more demand for these properties um, yeah. to the point where they're worth millions and millions of, millions of dollars. The people that have been residing in these towns have essentially been priced out. And again, right. we see corollaries in some of our bigger cities, right? New York City, San Francisco. These are issues that are happening. So it's interesting to look at these uh, these uh, ski resorts. And I see a microcosm of the bigger issues that's affecting the entirety of our country. Right. I, you know, I'm really glad you brought that up, June, you know, because I, at the beginning of this clip, you know, I was talking about how those suicide rates I read out were way before the pandemic. That was 2015 or 2016, you know? So I think you're right. I think, you know, the, the COVID um, experience that we all live through put gasoline on this fire that's already burning out of control. You know, another thing that I think really contributes to the suicide belt is Men, you know, we talk a lot about on this show men's um, men's particular unique mental health challenges. 
So I used to kind of be a ski bum in college. I guess I still am sort of this kind of grown up sort of ski bum, right? We used to always joke, you know, we'd go to these parties in um, these ski towns when I was in college, mostly dudes. A lot of these individuals who do live in ski towns at the end of the day and take these kind of uh, employment so they can ski a lot and snowboard a lot are men at the end of the day. Men statistically more likely to engage in completing suicide. And why is that? Access to firearms. A lot of these um, communities up in these mountain towns, it's just part of the culture hunting, right? Access to firearms and firearms in general is just embedded in the culture. Also, um, related to men, um, in a sense, is substance use, right? Um, men have a particular increased risk of engaging in substances. And, you know, these ski resorts towns are party towns. People are partying all the time, you know. So Mental Health America estimates that like half of all suicides were related to some kind of substance use issue at the time. And so I think that's a huge contributing factor into this as well, too. You know, this party culture, people using substances, and then maybe they don't feel so good. And, you know, oops. So right, you, right. Also brought up, you also brought up one other thing that I thought is interesting. I mentioned this earlier, kind of like this paradise um, paradox, it was called. Paradise paradox. And, you know, yeah, imagine one of the best ski days of my life. I was up at uh, Mount Baker in Washington, and it had just snowed, no joke, five feet. You know, pow skiing. I'm on these uh, skis that look like water skis. They're so fat. It was, it was incredible. I will never, ever forget that experience. Now, I watched this movie that I want to encourage. If you have made it this far into this episode, please go check out The Mountain in My Mind. It's a free movie on YouTube, and it really highlights um, this issue that we're talking about today, mental health and ski resort towns. Talked about the one individual who made this movie, his younger brother committed suicide. And it was either that same day or perhaps the day before he was out on the mountain skiing and like having his time. Like, I think these these kind of issues can be so hidden because people can still perhaps engage in the enjoyable activities. And maybe when they go also this kind of paradise paradox talks a lot about how, like, when you're surrounded in paradise, you're surrounded in one of the most beautiful mountains in the world and you don't feel good, it can make you feel even worse. Like, wow, like, why am I not feeling good? I'm surrounded by this beauty and I still feel like shit. I feel even more down on myself. I don't deserve this life. You know, spiral, spiral. Yeah, Logan, I think one of the, you know, that just reminds me, one of the best ways I think we can safeguard our mental health is an attitude of gratefulness and being thankful. Um, and what you were talking about with, uh, you know, being in this beautiful environment and still not feeling that connection, you know, be, still not being able to be in awe of the beauty that surrounds you. Yeah, man, that can that can really have a negative effect on your mental health. Um, one of the things when I work with patients is I'm just like, hey, like when you go for a drive, like look at, you know, it's fall right now. We just had Thanksgiving. Just look, look the, out look the window the, the whole time yeah. you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> look, look at the look at how the leaves are changing and say, wow, that's incredibly beautiful. How about when the sun is out, right? It's a sunny day, another day to get something accomplished. I think it's like, you know, taking taking uh, gratefulness in the small things in life. And we need to be reminded more of that. And the funny thing about depression is that it changes our ability to be appreciative of some of these small things in our life, right? As the old saying goes, when you're depressed, everything seems catastrophic. You tend to over over exaggerate some of the negative qualities about yourself. Um, 
and you underplay uh, some of the positive qualities about yourself. So maybe this is uh, this is a case of you know something similar that's going on um, where people are already in a state of depression. They kind of come out to the ski resorts and they're like, oh, maybe this is the answer. This is the answer that I'm you know that I've been uh, searching for. And when they don't get the you know the, the goals, the results that they were expecting, there's again a sense of a sense of disappointment that can further contribute um, to that depression. Uh, Logan, one of the things that I wanted to bring up um, was how about the fact that men are more goal oriented? Um, and what I mean by that is right in the middle of the winter, you can show up to these ski resorts, you know, with, with that goal in mind, right? Okay, uh, this winter, I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to like, I don't know, run how to grind the rails on a, on a snowboard. I'm not sure if that's the right terminology, but no, you get the point. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that actually was. Yeah. Good job. You no, start yeah. setting goals for yourself. And I think that's a very understated part of our mental well-being, right? We need to all have a core um, relationship with the world. Like, what is your purpose? What are you good for? What kind of positive energy are you putting out there into your community? And when you have these goals that you're chasing, whether it be career-related or sports-related, that's essentially a distraction. Um, it can help you to have a sense of purpose in, in this life and also to measure a sense of progress that you're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis, which, which can be tremendously helpful for your mental health. And I imagine what happens when spring rolls around and you're just kind of like, oh, crap, like, you know, I was finally making some progress. And now for like the next six months, I, I don't have this thing that, any, that anymore, you know, th this thing that I'm very passionate about. And again, that there's a sense of loss. And I'd imagine that that sort of dynamic also um, can potentially contribute to what we're seeing. Huh, Interesting. Yeah, I guess I've never thought of it that way. You know, I, I, I guess I didn't really know what you meant by like men are more goal oriented. I mean, I would argue certain men. I don't know. Um, that's a that's a topic for a different episode, I think, to dive dive into. But you know, I think it's perhaps. But I also think really maybe that's a young man's or young person's. You know, I put my put my mouth here approach to skiing because you know at now at this age, thirty four. I mean, look, I'm trying to be realistic in my remainder of my athletic career in respect to skiing. I think it's going to decline, right? You know, so that those goals that I might have set for myself when I was a younger skier have definitely evolved and changed. My goal really now when I set out skiing is let's not get hurt today. <laughs> you know, whereas when I was younger, you know, I, I feel like I didn't have a fully developed frontal portion of my brain, right? And, you know, my goal for the season was to, you know, land this trick or, or you know, take off this big of a cliff, right? You know, it, it, it definitely was different. So I definitely think that can be a part of it. And, you know, what I really wish I could extrapolate from these suicide rates, and maybe we do a follow-up episode on this, is, you know, are these suicides that we're seeing in these, uh, the suicide belt, is this mostly young people? Or is this more older individuals who maybe perhaps have more economic demands or they realize, oh, you know, I am way behind other colleagues who took a more traditional path and lived closer to the city and I'm over here barely making ends meet living in the ski town and arguably having more fun but now I have this broken body you know what what did the injuries contribute to all of this so I'm not really sure I did like how you brought up kind of that uh, cognitive behavioral technique right like that mindfulness practice that I I agree with so much um you know if you're if you're dealing with any of these depression issues I think that's a wonderful wonderful technique to try to implement into your life you know, what I would also piggyback on that is, you know, we had one of our most downloaded episodes was we had our friend on um, Will. Can't even remember that guy's last name. We'll have to tag Summers. him. Dr. Will Summers. Will Summers. Yeah. Nice. There we go. Good job. 
And he talked about acceptance and commitment therapy. And that's what I would really try to teach that individual who hopefully is listening to this podcast, who maybe lives in, um, you know, like Salt Lake City, Utah, or Solitude, Alta, Utah, or something, some amazing, beautiful place, Jackson Hole, but they're dealing with some extreme depression. I would try to teach them acceptance and commitment therapy quickly, right? Like you need to accept that distress, unhappiness, frustration. You could argue, I would even say depression is part of the human experience. So, you know, even if you're living in San Diego or Hawaii or um, Bali, these paradise locations, there are going to be experiences of depression in your life, no matter what. You know, that same person who lives in Iowa or someplace, you know, maybe not the best climate, most beautiful, picturesque place, is also going to experience elements of depression. This is just part of the human experience, and we all need to collectively learn how to live with those depression features in our life, right? So that's what I would try to teach that person. Now, I want to end on this, June. We, we have been rambling for about 20 minutes here. I, I, love, I could talk all day about skiing, but let's wrap it up. So there is actually some science around this um, that they're theorizing. We don't really know. But higher altitude is correlated with lower serotonin levels and increased dopamine levels. Does, and it's theorizing, like, can this imbalance of these neurochemicals contribute to mood swings? You know, dopamine has been implemented in risk-taking behavior, which, look, you know, these ski resort towns are already attracting so many risk, um, in, you know, risk-takers, right, who want to jump off cliffs, who want to do all these wild, crazy things. And perhaps the altitude is even exacerbating this problem worse or better, uh, you know, in, in certain ways, maybe that actually engages people to, to try that next best hardest trick, which I love. And I think is one of the most beautiful, amazing sports in the world, but it also has negative influences as well. Perhaps it's contributing to this, um, suicide. Yeah. Is it the chicken or the egg? Right. Right. I guess that's a, yeah, that's a conversation that, that can go on for a long time. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Noon, for shedding light on, on this issue that we're facing in our communities. Um, guys, let us know what you think down below, and we'll catch you guys in the next one.